Chapel, Mason City. Amen. Amen. If you'd open your Bible today to Ephesians chapter 1, and Lord willing, we'll take verses 15 through 23. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, just raise your hand and somebody will bring one to you. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, you can go ahead and keep the one that's brought to you and just consider it to be a gift from the Lord to you. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23 today. Lisa had always, always dreamed of traveling to Spain. Uh, when she finally arrived, she was overwhelmed by the beautiful architecture and the lively culture, but there was one problem. She didn't speak Spanish. She had a Spanish-English dictionary and a phrase book, but they only got her so far. It was... Only in, you know, when she met a very kind translator who taught her the language and explained the meanings behind the words, she truly began to understand and appreciate the country. In this same way, believers have resources like Bibles, sermons, phone apps, but without the Holy Spirit to illuminate and teach them. They may still be in the dark about spiritual truths. So, Paul has been talking to his readers about all that is theirs in Christ. You remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the beginning of chapter 1. He told them about their spiritual riches, their spiritual wealth that they possessed as believers. Things like adoption, redemption, forgiveness of sins, and eternal life. All of those things that belong to the believer. But without the Holy Spirit opening their spiritual eyes to understand these truths, they really don't mean much. They will not understand apart from the Holy Spirit opening the eyes of their hearts, if you will. Now, the very same truth is true with believers today. God desires for us to know Him and to have a deep knowledge of Him, to fully grasp all that is ours in Christ. And because that is true, it's necessary for us to pray for the Holy Spirit's illumination to comprehend the depth of His wisdom and revelation. In other words, if we want to understand what all this Christian stuff means, we need the Holy Spirit to teach us on a spiritual level. You can't understand the truths of Christianity on a spiritual level unless the Holy Spirit does something in your life. And that's what we're going to see today is the Apostle Paul, he's going to offer up a prayer for spiritual understanding. And it begins in verse 15. It says, Therefore, I also, I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Do not say for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Heavenly Father, as we turn to your word today, we do ask this very same thing, that beyond the words of a man, that you would speak to us spiritually. Heavenly Father, make this book live to us. Show us ourselves, Lord. Show us our Savior. Teach us spiritual things by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we do ask, dependent upon you today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
the context of Paul's prayers in Ephesians, there are two prayers. There is this one, and then also in chapter 3, if you wanted to look at it in your Bible, verses 13 through 21. Two prayers in the book of Ephesians. Now, the first one is that they might know, that they might have their spiritual eyes of their understanding opened, that they might know some things. And the other prayer in chapter 3 is they might be some things. Here is that they might know, there is that they might live. And so those are the two prayers found in the book of Ephesians. By the way, if you struggle with prayer, you say, I just don't know the words to pray. Well, there are very good words found in the Apostle Paul's prayers. We learn a lot about how to pray. And even as as a good exercise, if you want to learn how to pray, you can just copy the words of the Apostle Paul and just pray these things uh, for people uh, that you know and for yourself. And so that's a great way to learn about prayer is to study prayer. Now, he starts out with this word, therefore, and if you've been at Calvary Chapel longer than a couple of months, what do we say when we say, when we see the word, therefore? What's it there for? for? Yeah, that's a great Bible student asks great questions like that, you know, hey, there's a therefore, what's it there for? A great Bible student also asks questions like this, who, what, when, where, why, how? Is there a sin to be avoided? Is there a verse to memorize? Is there a promise to keep? Is there a command to be obeyed? We ask these questions every time we read the text. We want to make sure that we understand what the original author said to the original audience before we start trying to apply it to our own lives. And so when we see the therefore, we ask, what's it there for? So in light of all the spiritual riches that he talked about in the first message, you remember adoption, forgiveness of sins, redemption, all these different beautiful blessings, in light of all that, Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. So those two things, in light of everything that Paul said, and after he has heard of their faith in the Lord and their love for all the saints. Paul is talking about the evidence of genuine conversion, faith and love. Notice how he says, and love for all the saints. This is a sign of a genuine Christian, that they have faith, and that faith isn't dead faith, like which is talked about in the book of James. This is the sort of faith that manifests itself in love for others. And really, that is kind of the litmus test, right? Because you'll run into people that say, oh, I love God plenty. It's just people I have a hard time with, you know what I mean? That's why I don't really go to church. I just kind of worship God out in nature. Listen, the test of your genuine conversion and Christ-like love is that you love the saints. And that's, you know, clear throughout the whole Bible. Jesus says, remember, they will know that you're Christians by their love. Isn't that a song? They will know we are Christians by our love, right? He says, do, he says because I, I've heard of these things, I do not cease to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers. Now, this tells you a little bit about Paul's prayer life. He prays consistently. He says, I don't cease to give thanks. He's doing it continuously. Don't get the idea that all Paul did was sit down all day on his knees and pray. He prayed without ceasing. He said, that means that you and I can pray anywhere, anytime. You say, I know I can certainly pray in the car because when my spouse drives, I'm like, dear God, help me. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) That's just joking. But you can pray anywhere, anytime. You can talk to the Lord all the time. And notice even how he says that he mentions them always. He doesn't get into a three-hour prayer meeting every day for the Ephesians. He mentions them. There is a definite 
definitely important place in the believer's life for long times of silent prayer and, and you know, thinking about and meditating on the Lord and sitting in his presence. That's definitely crucial in the life of a believer. That's why we do prayer meetings that are like an hour long. We get together and we pray consistently. We intercede. We lift up. It's laborious. But also you can pray without ceasing and mention people in your prayers. And so both of those things are good. Going on now, here are the contents of Paul's prayer, and we see these contents in verses 17 through 23. And so he starts out the beginning of this section, 17 through 23, and he starts out with like the main idea of the whole prayer. And then after that, he lists three things that he wants them to know as a result of this prayer. So the first thing that I'm about to read here, this is like the general thing, and then these other three things fall underneath of this. Okay, so let me show you what I mean. Ephesians uh, 1.17 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Other versions say the eyes of your heart being opened. So Paul asks the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ to give them spiritual wisdom and insight so that they might grow in their knowledge of God. Now, this is extremely important to understand 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, 1 Corinthians 2, 14, if you're taking notes, this is a really important verse to understand. He says, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now, there are very, there's a, a bunch of very intelligent people on this planet today, physicists, astro-scientists, biologists, brilliant people, but you'll run into them sometimes that these brilliant people can't understand anything about the Spirit. There are even those that are considered to be Christian scholars in seminaries that could tell you everything about the book from an analytical, from a logical sort of, you know, information-based level, but don't understand the things of the Spirit. This is a very helpful verse for skeptics to understand. No one can know anything about God unless God opens the eyes of their heart. That's what he's saying in 1 Corinthians. In fact, the context of Corinthians is Paul talking to a church that is nested in a community of intellectuals of the day. And wisdom is the key word of the book of 1 Corinthians. It's the Greek word Sophia where we get sophisticated, right? That's the key word of the book in 1 Corinthians. And so you'll notice that when you read through it, is Paul is contrasting worldly wisdom with spiritual wisdom. And that's what he says in this context. He says, the natural man cannot understand things of the spirit. Now, I don't know if you ever tried to read the Bible before becoming a Christian, and then you compared that with after you were a Christian, and you noticed that the lights have come on a little bit. That's certainly true how that happens. And that's why in verse 17, Paul prays that God may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, he's not praying that they would receive the Holy Spirit. 
because they've already received the Holy Spirit. He lives in them. He dwells in them because they are believers. When you say yes to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. You become a new creation. He takes up residence in you, and he'll never leave you or forsake you. He's always in there for eternity. So he's not praying that they would receive the Holy Spirit because they're already believers. He is praying that they would receive a specific work of the Holy Spirit. The Puritans called it illumination. If you are trying to put together a puzzle in the dark and somebody comes in and illuminates the room by turning on the lights, you go, oh, goodness. And that's the idea of illumination is the Holy Spirit comes in and churns on the lights. Now, that's what he's praying for. These believers, they are already believers. Now, Paul continues to pray that God would do a work to help them understand spiritual things. This is an ongoing thing. Here's an implication of this truth. There are some that have been Christians their whole lives, and maybe you've met one or two occasionally, that don't know anything about the Bible. They don't know anything about Jesus. They don't know anything about spiritual things. They say, I've grown up in church. And you say, well, how come you don't know what justification, glorification, sanctification, you don't know anything about the gifts of the Spirit, you don't know anything about how to suffer well, you don't know anything about any of this stuff, but yet you've grown up in church. You know? And so what this is telling us is it's very possible to be a Christian and still need to pray for illumination. In fact, we just did that before we got into the message, and we do that every Sunday. We say something to the effect of, Lord, beyond the words of this guy standing here, we need your Holy Spirit to teach us, right? Because we know that man's words fall flat unless it's man's words braided with the power of the Holy Spirit speaking to spiritual people, right? Now, he prays that they would receive uh, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Wisdom has to do with the proper use of knowledge. Wisdom is the proper use of knowledge. There's a lot of people that have a lot of knowledge, but don't know how to use it. So what a good prayer that the Holy Spirit would teach us wisdom, how to use the knowledge that we have, right? And then revelation, it deals with the imparting of knowledge, you know, I was thinking about this this week. You know, Aaron and I have been reading through the book of Isaiah, and we were reading through, uh, you know, I've read through it, you know, and we were reading through, and this, this thing jumped out at me, and it was a definition of idolatry that I just, I'd never seen it like this before. And I'm, you know, I'm always interested in, you know, different things, trying to explain things in different ways, but this definition of idolatry just popped out. I've read through the book of Isaiah, but God revealed something to me in my spirit that I hadn't seen before. I show my wife and my wife's like, wow, I never noticed that, you know? And, you know, that we've been reading through the Bible, you know, it's not the first time through. You ever run into somebody that's like, yeah, that Christian stuff, I read through the Bible. You're like, you, you did once? <laughs> you know, like, okay. Uh, <laughs> Revelation has to deal with God imparting knowledge by his Holy Spirit to you. And look at verse 17 going on. He prays that God would reveal to them, you know, the spirit of wisdom, do the work of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. This is the ultimate goal, right? That they would know him more. This is the supreme knowledge in the universe is knowledge of the one who created the universe. There's no higher knowledge. The Bible says that the fool says in his heart that there is no God. It's true because apart from understanding that 
there's a creator that created and you are his creation, I mean, you're missing a key piece of how everything works. And so this is what he wants for them, is for them to grow in knowledge of God. He doesn't want them just to know God intellectually. He wants them to know God. He doesn't want them only to know the Word of God. He wants them to know the God of the Word. And he says in verse 18, and this is just kind of expanding upon what he's saying. He says, in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. He says, I'm praying for you that the Holy Spirit would do a work of wisdom and revelation in your life that you might know God more with the eyes of your heart open. That's what he's saying. That's, you know, you thought that song was just a cool song that we were singing, but it's really doctrinally rich. I mean, we're asking the Lord to take the blinders away and to clear the fog out and to lift the scales from the eyes and to reveal to us things about himself. And it's not just the goal of learning more things. It's the goal of knowing him, right? It's a good thing. I don't want to know just facts about my wife. I want to know my wife. So we earnestly seek the Holy Spirit to help us know him. And that is one of the major applications of this whole message is just that as we're going through this, you know, I would ask that you would just be in a place of prayer, that we're praying for everybody in this room right now, everybody, that the Lord is opening the hearts to understand the things, to know things about Him. And so this is not just a, an academic exercise. This is also a form of worship. We're worshiping the Lord by giving His word reverence, and we're asking Him to do what only He can do during this message. So he prays that the Spirit would open their eyes. Now we see these three specific things that I talked about that He wants them to know. The first one is the hope of His calling. The next one is the riches of His inheritance. The next one is the power of God towards believers, those three things. Verse 18, the second part of it. He says that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Now, there is great hope in the fact that God has called you, right? You have a destiny to be with him and be like him forever. Now, when you see the word hope in the, in the Bible, it's not wishful thinking. I mean, I remember when I was a kid and there was this skateboard and I hoped that I would get it and... I did get it, uh, but I might not have got it. You know, I just, who knows, right? And that's what we think of when we think of the word hope. We think maybe so, maybe not. But that's not what the Bible's talking about when it talks about hope. The Bible is talking about a confident expectation that God will do what he says he's going to do because he's God and he's always true, right? It's confident expectation. And so that's what he's saying is he wants the Ephesians to have their eyes of their heart open so they live in this reality that God has called them. And you say, I've heard this stuff all, all my life in church. Okay, but has this changed your life? Do you live in peace and security and optimism? Knowing this truth day in and day out, look, this world could fall apart. I could make every mistake that I could make. I could blow it totally, royally. Everything could happen. This whole place could fall around, you know, fall down around me. Everything could melt and burn. But you know what? I was called by him and nothing can stop that. And I live in that daily. Do you know what this does for your mental health? Do you know what this does to ask the Lord, Lord, put this in my heart? There are so many Christians that know these words. They just, they know these words, but the, boy, do, do you want the Spirit to put these in your heart? It's such an important thing.
the confident expectation of what our future holds. Do you know that there's a day where Christ is coming back face to face on this planet and he's going to bring the saints with him? And, you know, that's, it, I don't even want to get into all of it right now because we'll get stuck there. But there is a day when Jesus is coming and we're going to see him face to face and we're going to be, oh, I got to do it. Okay, so it says right here in 1 John, Beloved, we are now children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And everybody that has this hope in him purifies himself. Man, oh man, that's what you want to live in daily is in the realization of this truth. It's coming. It changes your outlook about everything. I don't need to make it happen here. I don't have to build a big old tower and have my name put on the side of it, the Tyler Tower, you know, like he who dies with the most toys wins. (laughs) That doesn't matter to me. The hope of this calling, his calling upon my life. He has a special calling on you to know him, to know him, not academically only, but to know him as your father, to know him as your friend. That's available to you. Now you ask, Holy Spirit, help me to know you. Help me to know this hope. Help me to have this hope. When you punch your clock Monday morning, you may feel like you're working on an endless stack of tasks, underappreciated, overworked, but take heart. Your life is filled with hope. And those around you see it and are drawn to Jesus because of it. You might lay down in hospice for the last time, knowing this hope is a hope beyond illness. Spurgeon talked about how so many that he sat with at their bedside in their last days, they said, you know, this deathbed is the sweetest bed because they have a hope that's beyond illness, that's beyond death. So Paul prays that the Holy Spirit would open the eyes of their hearts to know this hope. Next thing, to know the riches of his inheritance. Look at verse 18, please. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? That's what it says there. I'm going to back up and and read from uh, 16. Do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, this, this term, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, your mind might go back to last week and say, yeah, this whole inheritance that we have in Christ, adoption, eternal life, forgiveness of sins. But I want you to look closely. Whose inheritance is this talking about? Read it closely. Whose inheritance? It's his inheritance. This, man, if this gets in your heart, do you know, guess what Jesus inherits? You, you are his inheritance. Have you ever stopped to think about that? We inherit so much from him as being his children, but you are his inheritance. I look at myself and I say, oh, Adam, so filled with sin, so dark, so falling short in so many ways, so self-centered, so full of problems, so full of, you know, dirt. I'm your inheritance. Why would you want anything to do with me? Why would you want to inherit me? God's making a great investment in you and in me. He's investing all kinds of things into you. God the Father has invested the Son, the Spirit, and all these things into you. He's investing in your life daily, and He's building you, and He's making you more like Him. And one day, He's going to stand, and He's going to inherit you. You're going to see Him face to face. You're His inheritance. Man, that's, that's just staggering to think about. 
Why in the world would Jesus want that to want something to do with me? We are his inheritance. Titus 2.14, listen, talking about Jesus, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. His own special people, zealous for good works. 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Another translation translates special people as peculiar people. And I am certainly peculiar, right? (laughs) I was talking to my pastor the other day, uh, and I told you know, we were talking about, you know, how some people just get, just get weird, you know, in Christianity, you know, and he was like, yeah, you're weird. And I'm like, oh, yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for the reminder. You're God's own peculiar people. You're his special people. You're different, but you're special to him. And that's what these verses say. You're a chosen generation. Oh, my goodness. When I look in the mirror and I see at times what's in my heart, I just wonder how I could ever be wanted by God. And I want you to do this. I want you to read Luke chapter 15 this week, and there are three parables in there that talk about how the whole premise is how God finds something that had been lost. The first one is the, you know, he leaves the 99 sheep to go find the one, and the shepherd rejoices. The second one is the lost coin. The lady loses a coin in her house. She sweeps it frantically every single corner until she finds the one little coin, and then she rejoices. And the last one is about the son who took off and left his dad at home, and he, you know, went to the bottom. He went to Vegas and spent all of his money on prostitutes and drugs and every other thing else, and he decided he was going to bottom out, and he bottomed out, and he went back home, and what did his dad do? He scolded him. What did you ever do? No, no, not at all. His dad put a robe on him and threw a big party and said, my son that was lost, he was dead, he's come back to life. Man, that's how God thinks about people. That's how God thinks about you. He loves you that much. If you read Luke 15 this week, I mean, you're going to get reminded of that, of how much he loves you, how much he threw a party when you came home. (laughs) So good. God loves you. You know, when you see a Christian tripped up in their sin, you want to say to them, don't you know that you're his inheritance? I mean, it's not, you know, God help us. There's been so many images of preachers being like, sinner, sinner, sinner. Well, okay, maybe there's a time and place for that. I don't know. But When I think about the fact that I'm his inheritance, I don't want to live in ways that he hasn't called me to live because his kindness leads me to repentance, right? Now, when you see a Christian condemning themselves, beating themselves up, you want to say to them, man, don't you know that you're his inheritance? Don't treat yourself like that. When you see a Christian trying ever so hard to be accepted by the world, weighed down by the pressures of this world, Instagram and Snapchat, I got to look like my friend. Don't you want to say to them, don't you know that you don't have to get engaged in that because you're his inheritance? when you're feeling lonely and unloved and worthless, don't you want to remind yourself that you're his inheritance? You have great worth. He delights in you and he loves you so much. He called you, he sought after you, he died for you. You are his, how glorious. So Paul prays that the Holy Spirit would help them understand that in their hearts. Because apart from that, these are words on the page, right? We need your spirit, Lord. Now, the next thing, the last of the three, is to know his power. In verse 19, he goes on, just back up to 18, the eyes of your 
understanding, being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Paul prays that they would understand the incredible greatness of God's power for those who believe in him. As a Christian, you are supplied with the very same power that raised Christ from the dead. The very same power that animated Jesus' lifeless body brought him out of a literal tomb to walking around in a physical body, eating, talking to people, and then ascended, brought him to, in the sight of the disciples, brought him from that and seated him in heaven. That power is in Christians today. You know, last week we had people stand up here with their testimony cards, and they, on one side you said what you were before Christ, and the other one you said what you were after Christ. Do you remember that? Those changes happened because the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. That's staggering. That's remarkable. That's where the credit belongs, is on the power of God. You know, if you were standing up here with your testimony card last week and you thought for a second, you're like, well, I did, I did clean up my act. I did get it together. <laughs> you are dead wrong, partner. <laughs> That's all, go all glory goes to God. All glory goes to Him. Listen, you know, isn't that right? Yes. That's right it is. Because you tried to change yourself before and you couldn't do it. And so something's different, right? That's because the power of God lives inside of you. You know that same power that raised Christ from the dead raises the fearful from their fears? Do you know that same power takes the empty from their emptiness? That same power changes abusers out of their abuse. Do you know that that same power changes the perverse from their perversion, the confused from their confusion, the delusional from their delusions, addicts from their addictions, the bored from their boredom, the lazy from their laziness, the thief from their theft? The two-faced from their hypocrisy, the legalist from his self-righteousness, the manipulators from their schemes, the atheist from their unbelief. That same power that's been at work in this world that continues to work in this world in the sons and daughters of those who believe, right? Holy smokes, how do I access it? Man, as a believer, you access it through faith and prayer, through trusting, through making a deliberate effort to not trust in your own works and lean on your own understanding, but to trust God. It's a deliberate thing. I deliberately have to keep myself in check and say, Adam, where are the areas of the life that you're living that you're self-reliant? And I have to realize my power is nothing compared to this power. Do not lean on your own understanding, but trust in the Lord. He'll make your paths straight, right? It's trusting. It's deliberately choosing. That is a hard thing for Americans because Americans think they've done such great things by the sweat of their brow and their own strength, and maybe they have. But the thing to remember is these things, you can't do spiritual things. The leopard can't change its spots. <laughs> All the dead are coming back to life is what that song says, right? How does that happen? It happens through the power of Christ. How do you grow spiritually as a Christian and not stay the same? I've been a Christian 25 years. I've never changed once. How do you grow? It's by abandoning your self-efforts and relying on the power of Jesus Christ. 
It's a deliberate effort. How do I access this power? It's through faith. It's through prayer. It's through spiritual disciplines. It's through having my mind renewed. It's through denying self and picking up my cross daily and following Christ. That's how it comes into your life. It's by recognizing my weakness by the Apostle Paul. You remember when he says, when I am weak, I am what? So I'm strong. He says, I pleaded three times that God would take this thorn in the flesh from me, and he didn't. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, and he was teaching Paul to be dependent upon the Lord and not upon himself, right? And he recognized his own weakness. The strongest, most powerful thing you can do in this fallen, broken world is realize your weakness. That's the Christian power paradox. Because when I am weak, then I am strong. Therefore, I'll glory all the more in my weaknesses. I'll boast in him and in his grace alone. Now, that's the end of Paul's petition, part of his prayer. And so the rest of this chapter, or the rest of this, yeah, it's the chapter, the rest of this passage is uh, different manifestations of this power. When I did the outline, I, well, I won't even talk about it, but it's interesting because he, he had his main two points, you know, the announcement of the prayer, the contents of the prayer. Then you had the main introduction of the prayer, then the three things that he wants them to know. And underneath the last thing are three more things that are a manifestation of this power. The last thing he says is, I want you to know the power of God, and now here are three manifestations of it. He says, verse 20, which he worked in Christ, talking about this power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. We talked about that. That's a manifestation of this power. It got Christ out of the ground. Listen, if the death of Christ was the supreme demonstration of God's love, the resurrection of Christ and the ascension are the supreme examples of his power. No. Seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. This is where Jesus sits now literally in a physical body next to God the Father. In some way, he's at the right hand of the Father. This is the position of privilege, of power, of authority. This is where he's at, right? I don't understand the complexities of this, the Trinity, how three are in one. It's one God in three persons. This is where Jesus is today. Another Bible book tells us that he's there interceding. He's praying for you in that place that you might not stumble. That's awesome, isn't it? The Lord, the inter intercessor for us. I'm so glad he prays for me. Now, here's the next manifestation. The first one is the resurrection, the ascension. The next one of this power, verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion. This is where Christ is seated. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but, which is, but also that which is to come. What he means here is that Jesus, there's a spiritual realm, and it's organized. There's different ranks of demonic beings. There's different ranks of angels. This is something that's going on that our eyes don't perceive it. It's a spiritual realm, different authority levels, different powers. Jesus is above all that stuff. That's what he says here. He's the highest. He's above all power, above all might, all dominion. And then he says, not only in this age, but also the age which is to come, Christ will come back and he will establish what's called the millennial reign here on earth. Saints, Christians will live with him in that millennial reign. It's a thousand year reign. That is the age to come. In that age, Christ will rule. Now, I don't know if you've ever stopped and meditated on this for a second, but there is a literal time coming when Christ will be the ruler of the earth 
Now think about that. Man, I turn on the news for two seconds and I see the rulers of the earth now and I go, oh, good Lord, take the TV out of our house, you know? I mean, geez, the things that, oh, we'll stop there with that. Good night. But there's a day coming when he'll be the ruler. There will be a day coming where you look at how politics, how these things are going, and you'll be like, oh, that is so good. <laughs> that is so righteous. Man, that's something to look forward to. I can trust God's ultimate control and rest in the assurance that nothing can separate me from him. He's above all. He's above all things. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. This power, this is power. And it is also, here's the last manifestation, verse 22 and 23. This power is presently manifested in Christ's headship over the church. If you look at verse 22, it says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He put all things under his feet. See the earth in this state yet. There are still people in rebellion to God, and it's coming to an end. And by the looks of things, when you do turn on the TV, it looks like it's pretty close that it's coming to an end. There will come a time where all those that are in rebellion to Christ, the Bible says that every knee shall bow before him. You get the opportunity to bow because of love now. There it will be a different story altogether because he's coming back to judge and he's coming back to deal with all the people that are not in subjection to him and they will be uh, surrendered and submitted to him. How can he do such a thing? Isn't that unkind? Hey, he created the universe. I mean, he can do what he wants, right? I mean, if we're talking about God, God could do what he wants, right? Who am I to talk to him like that? He gave him to be head over all things the church. I love this illustration. If you want a fun Bible study, go back through this passage today and look at all the words that are like word pictures, you know, head, body, feet, things like that. And just think about those things. Just write them out on a list and just meditate on how uh, Paul used those words. But it says here that he gave Christ to be head over all things to the church. Notice the word gave. God the Father gave Christ as a gift to the church. He's the head of the church. Now, it doesn't matter if it's the church in Oman, the church in Albania, the church in, you know, Texas, wherever we go, right? I mean, he is the head of the church. You say, I wouldn't get that from all these churches that just can't seem to get along together. Well, right? Think about this for a second. God is so good that he can be the head of all these different expressions and they can all be so different, but yet be the same. I think that just shows the genius of God, to be honest, you know? I don't get tripped up on there's so many different Churches? I think this is amazing because, you know, some people want to do cartwheels up and down the aisle, you know, and so they can go to the, cart, the first cartwheel church of Mason City. You know what I mean? You can go there, you know? Other people, you know, want to go and have a heavy academic thing and we want to praise the Lord by showing how stern we are. Well, you can go do that. You know what I mean? Like, you can have it your way with, almost in, in some way. You know what I mean? The true church of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some churches that have severed from the head, you know? And they may even look busy. You ever seen a chicken with its head cut off? It looks busy, you know, but it doesn't have a head directing the body. You know what I mean? Uh, I've never seen one of those personally, but I've heard about it. It's terrifying, apparently. I mean, I've seen a video of it. Like, I don't, who's ever seen one of those? Oh, good grief, man. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, you think about that and you look around and you see some churches that it's like, it looks like they have a lot of activity, but there's signs right on the, pat, right on the side of their building, you know, that would tell you, no, they've severed from the head, you know? 
And they don't ever open the Bible and they don't give Jesus glory and they don't worship him and they come, try to come to him in other ways through their works and other stuff. And they've severed from the head. It says that Jesus is the head of the true church. Now, I love that too, because that means that we're his limbs getting the direction from him, like cells in the body. Now, for the most part, the head gives the direction to the body and the body follows. Now, there are some some bad things happening with some bodies where the body doesn't follow the head and it's, there's a miscommunication. You could liken that to a Christian that's disjointed from the church. You know, they're not in the word, they're not in prayer, they're not in fellowship with other people. That's kind of like a body part that wants to do its own thing. I'm so glad that my foot came with me here to church today. <laughs> you know, oh, I'm going to sleep in. <laughs> the heck you are. Let's go. <laughs> nope. He's the head over the church. That's why we seek him. That's why we study his word. We're seeking him. We're seeking his guidance. Now, it says, which is his body? Talking about the church, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is another reason I like to be at church so much is because the church is the fullness of him. Now, I got to be honest with you. I don't understand the full comprehension of how Jesus fulfills all in all, how he fills all in all. I don't get it. I mean, it's beyond comprehension, you know. But what this tells me is like, you know, the picture of body. When Jesus was on the earth, this was God manifest in a body. And when Jesus sent his Holy Spirit and he ascended, now the church is his body. That's amazing. I love being around you because his spirit is filling this place with his wisdom, with his will, with his power, with his gifts. And so we're, we're here. You can't keep me away from this place. You want to do this every day of the week? I'll do this, you know? Because I want to be with you. I want to be where his fullness is. I love it. He animates it. He fills it. He gives wisdom, his truth, his power, his love. We have access to this power. That power is displayed in the resurrection, the ascension, the fact that he's high above all things, that he'll rule even in this age, the age to come, and that he's the head over the whole church. And we have access to that power through faith, through prayer. So as you can see, God desires for us to have this deeper knowledge of him, this deep knowledge to know him. But as you can also see, this is something Paul prays for. Notice Paul doesn't say, Ephesians, here's 10 things I want you to do, and you go home and you do these, and you're going to know God more. No, he turns to the right source. He says, the Holy Spirit needs to open the eyes of our hearts. Now, I'm going to conclude here. In that same way that Lisa, desiring to go to Spain, went there and found a difficult time, even though she had her books, even though she had her resources, until the translator came. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe there's somebody sitting in here today that says, you know what, I've grown up in the church, but I know I'm missing something. You know, these other Christians, they seem to keep talking about Jesus and they keep growing and they keep having experiences with the Lord and things keep happening and they keep learning more about Jesus. But I mean, I've been a Christian longer than they have. What is going on? Well, let me ask you, are you seeking him? Do you want to know Jesus? Are you satisfied in spiritual infancy? Because you don't have to be. I mean, God has made this available to everybody. Remember in the book of Hebrews, he goes to them and he goes to the author of Hebrews. He says, you, he says, you should be teachers by now. He says, but I got to go back and I got to talk to you about the basics, man, the cross, baptism. He says, you ought to be teachers by now. But this is why you're not grown is because you're not sitting down in the word and praying and saying, Lord, you need to open the eyes of my heart. 
I want to know you more. Because the Lord says, if you seek him, you'll find him. You draw near to God and he will what? Absolutely. You can bank on it. Jeremiah, when you seek him with your whole heart, you will find him. He will reveal himself. He's not reluctant. But it's just like a dad, you know, uh, do you sit and try to anticipate all your kids' needs and then just put everything that they need in front of them before they even know they need it? Why would you do that? You'd be raising just a helpless, you know, dependent, you know, they'll be on your payroll the rest of their lives if you did that. You know what I mean? But if an if a earthly father has the sense not to do that and to kind of hold back until the kid knows they need something, do you know what I mean? God wants you to seek him. He wants to have a relationship with you. That's how relationships work. You've got to invest in them. You've got to seek. And there is something supernatural that needs to happen. The Lord needs to continuously open the eyes of your heart. And this isn't a one-time thing. I pray like this all the time. God, help me to understand your word. Help me to understand spiritual things. Tell me the things that I need to hear. Give me wisdom. Reveal yourself. If you've grown stale in your walk with the Lord, if this is just kind of drab and boring to you and you're just going through the motions, I think you should ask the Lord to reveal himself to you because following Jesus correctly, and I use that word deliberately, is not drab. <laughs> It's the most exciting thing you'll ever do in your life. Not always. Up and down, all around. But if you're not drawing near to him, seeking him, you can expect nothing but just, this is boring. Heard that before. Read the Bible. Yeah, I read that thing. Okay. You're missing out. You're missing out big time. Now, if you're a brand new believer, uh, make sure you're in the habit of praying for spiritual understanding before you read the word, before you come to church. Uh, something I'd like to encourage you know, you brand new believers with is on your prayer list. Please pray for me. Pray for the church that we would all, all of us here would understand the word spiritually, that God would open the eyes of our heart as a church. And I would ask you, if you would just set a reminder in your phone, pray this on Saturday nights about the service coming the next day, that the Holy Spirit would have his way in this place while this word is preached. Now, Make a conscious effort to pray for understanding. For those of you that have been at this a while, isn't it exciting? So, I mean, you just don't even know what's going to happen. You might sit down in the Word tomorrow and something might jump out at you like you've never seen before, and you might hear something. You might get a word of wisdom, word of knowledge, spiritual gifts working in your life. You might meet somebody different, just a different opportunity, following. Remember when Jesus said, I only do the things that I see the Father doing? You remember that? What a life. Redeem the time because the days are evil, right? And we're just looking at time. We're looking at the moments, the opportunities, and we're saying, God, what do you want to do? And you're speaking through us, and we're seeking you, seeking to know you, seeking to know the heart of the Father. And that's available to everybody. Just keep it up. Keep it up if that's you. So exciting.